0: Welcome to the Abundant Edge podcast. You're in the right place for all things regenerative living, ecological restoration, permaculture, and natural building. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. In this show, it's my job to interview leaders, innovators, and rebels on the cutting edge of their fields as we look for solutions to our generation's most urgent challenges and share these techniques and information so that you can join us in creating a healthy and abundant world for everyone. So let's get started. Welcome everyone to this week's episode. In this ongoing series on homesteading, I've talked to a lot of people who've given us really practical information on how to make the transition to a more self-sufficient way of life and connect with nature in the process. We've explored how to start businesses on your land, grow and produce your own food, as well as forage for wild food and medicine and much, much more. In this episode, we'll take a look at the softer side of homesteading lifestyles in talking about the inner transformation and feeling connected to rewilding and reconnecting to the land. For this perspective, I spoke to Ayana Young, who made a drastic change in a short time from living in downtown Manhattan to living with minimal amenities in the Redwood Forest in Northern California. We explore the motivations behind such a drastic change as well as the inner transformation that can take place during the journey. We also explore the personal sides of managing expectations, mental adjustments to a new environment, and the benefits and drawbacks of living so removed from modern life. Now, given that I'm normally very focused on the practical, logical, and hard science side of ecosystem regeneration and lifestyle transition, it did me a lot of good to take the time to ponder the inner journey that takes place and to consider how others think and feel about the upheavals of these transformations and transitions. Now, back when I spoke with Ayana, we were not yet in pandemic lockdown here in Spain, but now that we are, and the quarantine has been extended at least until April 11th, It looks like we here and many people all around the world are getting a taste of isolated living, even though we may not have moved at all or are only one door away from many neighbors. These drastic transformations are bringing out extreme and unusual feelings in people, myself included, and I'm hearing more and more urgency in developing alternative livelihoods and support systems for ourselves and our communities. I myself was in the process of purchasing a small farm with my partner when everything shut down here in Spain and the process has been suspended indefinitely. But the two of us feel more committed than ever now to move to a situation in which we can be of direct help to our community by providing healthy food and offering learning opportunities to the people around us who are also looking to make this change. We're living in uncertain and stressful times, but know that you're not alone in this journey. We will all need to work together and help each other out in the coming transition to a regenerative society. Though I certainly have low moments and doubts these days, I'm also confident that truly good and beautiful examples of human ingenuity and compassion will come out of this pandemic and that our communities will band together in new and inspiring ways to lift us collectively out of this and away from the trajectory of destruction and consumption that we've been on before now. If you've been enjoying these episodes, I'd encourage you to look through the archives of the Abundant Edge podcast for more inspiration and practical information on everything from natural building to low-cost, high-quality housing, to growing your own food, planting regenerative farms, and much, much more in what is now over 150 episodes. This information and the community connections that it can create are more important and urgent now than ever. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting this show. I hope that this finds you safe, healthy, and in good company. I'll turn things over now to Ayana. Hey, Ayana, thanks so much for taking time to be on the podcast today. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. I'm so happy to be speaking with you today.
0: Hey, the pleasure is all mine. So Now look, as we're talking about homesteading lifestyles and what it means to make a transition away from what many people consider to be kind of a dependent or consumerist lifestyle where you're buying most of the things that you consume, Tell us first a little bit about your personal background, and then we'll start talking about how you made this switch in lifestyle for yourself.
1: Well, this is great. I don't usually get to talk about my homesteading lifestyle with my work, so um, I'm excited to be diving into my discoveries and the way that I function on a daily basis out here in the woods soon. Um, so, but to start off the, how I got here, right. That's what you're asking is my journey up till this point. Yeah. So my goodness. Um, well, I didn't grow up as a activist or a homesteader or somebody who was close to the land or anti-consumerism at all. I had a very, um, I would say uh, middle class, Costco consumer, highly consumptive childhood. Um, You know, I didn't grow up in a place where people were even thinking of not consuming. Now there was talk about, you know, being able to pay the bills and talk about being able to, um, you know, stay financially secure, but it wasn't about stopping consumption because of resources or the earth. So that concept really didn't come to me until. I probably left my 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 family home. And during, you know, even though, you know, in high school, I wasn't thinking about consumption as the direct cause for climate change or the Anthropocene or so many social environmental climate justice issues. I did see a lot of other things that I was curious about, that I was enraged about, that I was frustrated about, like factory farms like um government uh just um (laughs) government uh what's the word there's so much to say there but
0: mm, (laughs) yeah yeah. I'm yeah, (laughs) i'm like
1: where do i begin and end on that one right um and so yeah i i was awakened to an extent when i was younger but i didn't really have all the information that I needed to be making the decisions that I make today. And so here and there, you know, I'd watch documentaries. I would read radical anarchist literature. Um, I studied the humanities in college and I studied philosophy and theology and art history. And I was fascinated by how people have been controlled over the last few thousand years and, what people have believed in and how that has guided their lifestyles and their choices. Um, and then I decided, okay, you know, the humanities were interesting, but I really wanted to focus more on the environment. So I ended up going to grad school in New York for environmental sciences, but I after about, I think, a year and a half, I dropped out to be a full-time political organizer at Occupy Wall Street. And um, I was never a political organizer before. I did not have the experience, but I had a lot of passion and I was so excited to finally be around other people who were passionate and yeah, that enraged feeling and willing to talk about it and willing to get into all of the nitty gritty of this really messed up system that we're living within. And so that was what about eight and a half years ago now. And from that point, that was yeah, that, that was really the catalyst. That was the that was the fire starter. And um, since then I have fallen deeply in love with the wilderness. I've gotten much more engaged with political activism in the realms of social, environmental, and climate justice. And I moved out to this 500-acre plot of forest land that has previously been logged a few times but has grown back really beautifully and have created a homestead, a community homestead, and a nursery, a native species nursery um, out here. So that's a little bit of it. I tried to take the uh, highlights of the past 30 years, so hopefully I was coherent.
0: No, no, for sure. I can imagine that there were so many other events in there that, you know, we can't cover in a one hour show, but that were pivotal to some of the decisions that you made. Now, tell me kind of how this activism mindset and all of these informative experiences to you previously culminated into the decision to move out into the middle of the woods and how you found the place where you're living now.
1: Hmm. Well, I have to give a lot of credit uh, to my partner March for that because we met at Occupy Wall Street um, and we fell in love in this really intense way where it was wrapped up in belief systems and, um, and just wanting to really understand the predicament we're in and be really aware and present and engaged with the issues. And so After Occupy went underground, after Homeland Security kicked us out of Zuccotti Park, March um, had lived in Peru for five years, and I'd always wanted to go down to South America, so we, uh, during that winter, went down to Patagonia, and it was the first time I had camped, and it was wild, and it was rugged, and I really fell in love with the wilderness. And so there was this colliding of worlds with the political activism mixed with this deep fascination and limerence with the, these wild places. And when we got back to New York City, which is where I was living, I was living in um, Manhattan, which is crazy to even say right now. I'm like, was I living in Manhattan? But I was living in Manhattan and March had said, let's move out to Oregon. And I was interested and I thought, okay, well, yeah, let's uh, let's move out to Portland. And we looked at Portland, it was a super cute city, but Mark ended up finding a cedar cabin uh, in the mountains outside of the city that was surrounded by thousands of acres of timberland. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, like, I thought we were moving to Portland. Like, I, I don't know if I'm ready for this, but... I took the leap of faith and we ended up moving out into this little cedar cabin and it had about seven acres of old growth forest surrounding the cabin itself. But then it was, like I said, thousands of acres of timberland. And that's when I really fell in love with the forest in an experiential way. It's when I started studying herbalism. And so I would go out into the forest and I would collect wild foods and wild medicine and uh, work with them it's also the time that I really got into homesteading in the sense of growing food um, of you know making my own cleaner my own dish cleaners soap, you know laundry cleaners all that jazz and it was the first time I had a food garden and that was really beautiful I remember planting my first seeds and I was so nervous I had the seeds in my hand, and I was like, oh wait, do I, do I put it down, how far do I put it down into the soil, and am I going to mess it up, and, and, and I, I, I still remember that really viscerally, and so March and I had a little market farm, we grew, I think, 40 varieties of tomatoes, in this really beautiful little patch in the, in the woods that we used, um, branches for the steaks. And then we built a 60 foot greenhouse out of all recycled materials. And then we had, I think, gosh, maybe 40 to 50 varieties of heirloom lettuces. And so we were growing tomatoes, we were growing lettuce, we were growing a bunch of other stuff, basil and melons and peppers. And, um, and then we would, harvest our food and we'd make tomato sauce and handmade nettle pasta and we'd go down to Portland and we built this really cute farm stand out of, um, out of trees on the back of our truck and we'd go down and we'd sell it on the streets in the city. And, and so that was a hugely um, influential part of my life, just getting to work with my hands so much and getting to really stop buying certain things now I'm not to say I wasn't buying anything you know I was buying bulk flour I was buying jars lots and lots of jars <laughs> um, but I actually I remember us buying lots of jars from this guy on Craigslist who was Jim the jar guy and he collected jars. It was really I thought I was like in an episode of a comedy when I went to go to his house. His house was literally just filled with jars to the ceiling. And so even then like we were trying to not buy new things um and and then you know Fukushima hit and I was so afraid of the nuclear fallout that was coming down in the rain um in the temperate rainforest which rained all the time. And I, we decided to leave and go east and kind of gather our thoughts and our hearts. And I knew that I wanted to conserve land and I knew I wanted to really ground on land. And so we looked, honestly, all over the place in the northeast of North America. We looked in New Zealand. We probably looked in a lot of other countries online Um, But then I found this place in Northern California that just really spoke to me. And honestly, I never thought I'd end up back in California. It's where I grew up. I grew up in Southern California, and I never wanted to live in California again. So it was shocking to me to even come back here. But I came, yeah, I moved here about five or six years ago. and, And yeah, it was just logging land back at that point, there was roads, but that was the only human development was roads and big redwood stumps that had been logged in the past hundred years. And so, what was this, five, six years ago, uh, we pitched our tent, no running water, no electricity, um, really had to strip my conditioning and my expectation and my entitlement to creature comforts to modern conveniences to a fossil fuel lifestyle and it was really hard and it was really emotional and um and you know honestly even though I've done a lot of building on the land and gardening uh I'm still in like kind of a half camp lifestyle (laughs) you know uh we 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 cook outside. We have, if, I mean, if it's raining, we have a wood stove in this little cabin that we built that we cook on, but otherwise we cook outside the kitchen's all outside. I, I haven't had refrigeration this whole time. We never will have refrigeration. Um, we're totally off propane. So we cook with wood. We have bathtubs that we light fires underneath. So we heat water with wood. Um, and the only time we use fossil fuels is in our generator. And that's if the solar doesn't give us what we need. And it's honestly because I have really shitty batteries. <laughs> but uh, if we had better batteries, which hopefully I'll get at some point, um, we probably won't even need to use the generator as much. So yeah, from Orange County to Manhattan to now doing everything of firewood, it's really been a huge, huge uh transition but it's beautiful and I love this life and I would never trade it for anything I have no desire to live in any other way um my little wagon that I sleep in is about 120 square feet and there's no electricity in there and I love it I love sleeping without electricity it's amazing and yeah, it's hard. And sometimes I get cold or sometimes I get hot or sometimes I have a hundred bug bites on my shin alone. <laughs> but I think, you know, that's what the world feels. That's 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 about feeling. And in this country, especially. um we're so disconnected from the outside world, you know, we get in our car with air conditioning or heat, we get into our office with air conditioning and heat, we're not touching the elements, we're not feeling the elements in the same way. And um, as hard as it's been at times, it's really changed me as a person and I'm extremely grateful for that.
0: Well, it sounds to me like you had a couple of experiences that led up to this and kind of perhaps prepared you even better um, from going from Manhattan to a cabin and then from a cabin to camping out with far less creature comforts. Do you think that that transition made it possible for you to live the way you do now? Or do you think you would have been able to go straight from Manhattan to this lifestyle all in one go?
1: Ooh, (coughs) Mm. gosh. Yeah. It's so hard to say, um, what would have happened to me, I still think that I would have been in love with this lifestyle. It may have been more emotionally challenging because part of this lifestyle, sure, you know, it's physical, but it's really emotional. It's, it's psychological, it's spiritual to be able to push through the addictions and the entitlements and the just being used to things and being able to move through that and decide, well, I don't know if decide is the right word. I think partially it's a decision to say, okay, you know, I'm not going to have all these other things, um, but I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Because I think that for a lot of people, when things start getting taken away, they feel not okay. They feel like they don't have a sense of security or safety, because comfort, I think, gives us the sense of safety and security. And um, as human animals, it's something that I think we need in order to be stabilized humans. Um, And so, yeah, I think eventually I would have come to the same conclusion. I just think it probably would have been emotionally more challenging, because the time I had an organ was a beautiful In between, like I had a house, I still had heat. Well, the heater didn't really work, but nonetheless, like I had a house with walls and a ceiling, and you know, I had refrigeration, and I had things I don't have now. And and even after Oregon, I ended up moving out to Pennsylvania to an old farmhouse from the 1700s, and um, and so that similar, it was a bit similar to Oregon. It was rural living. It wasn't in the forest, though. It was, I mean, there was some forest. It just wasn't similar in that way. But I think being able to have that softer in-between was really helpful to be able to go then a I don't know if it was a step further it may have been like a whole staircase further um into this lifestyle but yeah it's a good question um but like I said I think ultimately not whether I had the in-between or not I think I still would have felt the same way i feel now which is so grateful so in love with this life and um yeah something that i feel really committed to
0: one of the things that i love that you talk about in your show and in some of the work of yours that i've seen is the emotional journeys that people are going through i mean. Certainly, in a lot of other topics and a lot of other focuses. For example, in your podcast, but could you tell me a little bit about your personal emotional journey in making this transition? Um, not just, you know, the the realization that you now have to do without some of the comforts that you were used to, or that you know your scheduling and your time investments are going to be very different, but also just kind of how it's affected you and your sense of identity and connection to nature in this process. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. gosh yeah um, hmm. my identity I'd say has shifted so much in the past decade because I used to really identify as a city person and I loved the metropolitan lifestyle I loved living in New York City and getting dressed up and um, going out on the town and eating at restaurants and there was a lot that was wrapped up in my ego of um being sexy or having, you know, attention in that way or feeling like I wanted to flirt or go to an event that I felt was cool or hip or something. And so I in a lot of ways I love that. In a lot of ways though I felt extremely unfulfilled. It felt shallow, you know. Oh it, oh there was always that feeling that getting ready to go out was more fun than actually going out because once I was out, I kind of wanted to just come home. Um, so but you know, there's a lot wrapped up in the ego that it's like, yeah, I want to go out, I want to feel cute. I want to paint the town red. I want to go shopping or whatever it was and And there was parts of me that, like I said, felt like I liked that, although I felt this also this kind of underneath underlying really chronic dissatisfaction with that lifestyle and I think the other part of why that lifestyle felt so unfulfilling to me is because it wasn't about being in service it wasn't about serving the forest serving the earth serving the communities it was really just about me my ego and how to feed that and that like I said it just didn't feel it didn't feel good ultimately Now, living out here and having my identity be wrapped up as a forest dweller, as somebody who's very close with the land, as somebody who listens to the land, as somebody who has and have a jolly good life with your chickens and have a good family life, maybe. But, like, does that mean that you're going out and you're learning what's happening in your area and you're giving your energy towards making sure that your neighborhood or your farm or whatever isn't being polluted by industry or people are being taken care of like that's really another level um, that matters to me a lot and so having my identity wrapped up as activist forest dweller forest defender land defender um, you know because in a lot of ways I don't actually identify as a homesteader I don't get interviewed a lot about my personal lifestyle and I don't I don't think about myself as that. That's not what I identify as first. But um, it's fun to talk about it because, in a lot of ways, my identity is wrapped up in living like this and being so grateful for turning on a tap with water. Because I actually, you know, I actually was the one who put the pipe in the spring and laid the line down to get here. So I know what it actually takes. I know the infrastructure it takes to get water to to my little cabin that I built. And just that in and of itself, the gratitude that comes with that and the, um, yeah, I don't take things for granted in the same way that I used to. And having that be a part of my identity is so beautiful because I think that I can be a better human. And I think it's humbled me in ways that I never would have been humbled if I didn't decide to live like this. And um, and I'm also very privileged to be able to live like this. You know, I know that not everybody has this opportunity. I also know that everybody wants this opportunity because I've had a a number of people try to live out here with me, and they couldn't do it. It was they kind of went mad in the forest. Mm -hmm. It was too hard for them. They wanted to go to town every day. I'll go a month without going to town, Mm -hmm. and I'll. I'll, you know, I won't get in my car. I won't see. I won't do social events other than socializing with the forest. And I love it. I love. I love being a hermit out here. But I also know it isn't for everybody. And so, I. But I also want to say, like, I'm extremely privileged to live this life, and I know that every day. And I. I pray, and I feel blessed that. Um, I feel blessed that I'm able to do this, and I also feel blessed that I chose to do this.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. among the challenges that it requires uh, or is part of the process of making such a drastic move like that in lifestyle are there any things that you feel that you are missing at this point or do you feel like perhaps the few things that you may be missing are drastically outweighed by the benefits of this lifestyle
1: i mean The things that I feel like I'm missing, um, well, I don't really feel like I'm missing much. But if I were to say, if I were to really look, you know, try to pick it out, I would say that, you know, I wish I could go to a dance class or something. You know, that would be great if I, you know, things like that or um, go to a theater production or, and I could, you know, I could drive an hour and a half and go to town where there might be a little theater or a dance class every now and then. I don't do that because, you know, I don't want to do a three hour round trip for that, but I, those are things that maybe I miss is just those cultural elements. Um, And I really had to shift my culture where my culture now is the, the woods and my culture isn't about human ingenuity or creativity as much, um, which is, Yeah, I mean, that's something that I do, I do wish I had more of. Um, But again, if I were to weigh out the scale, and on one side of the scale, I'd put human, uh, what, human events, like dance classes, or good restaurants, or art productions, versus time, quiet time, watching water, Move through a creek or um, or the sound that the ravens make in the morning or something like that I mean it's not I'm still happy with the choice that i've made it's not um, those things that I'm missing don't outweigh the things that I have gained from this lifestyle but yeah, I mean this lifestyle isn't everything it doesn't fulfill every single part of me, you know, I I still have cute clothes that I used to wear in the city that I never get to wear anymore. (laughs) But you know, are those things really that important? No, they're not super important. But yeah, those are still parts of me that I don't get to nourish in the same ways. But the other part too, is like the time we're living in, we don't get everything, we don't get to have our cake and eat it too. And even though I know, especially for Uh, Many people in in the United States, we've been conditioned to believe that we can have everything. Um, I think that feeling, that entitlement, and I think the endless amount of options are actually really detrimental to us and the way we end up treating each other and the earth. And so, um, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay not having everything. And I think in the long run, um, yeah, it will probably make me a better person.
0: Mm, mm. Tell me a little about the, the challenges that you thought you were going to face in, in changing to, to this type of lifestyle and the things that you came to understand after being in it for a while, because often it's very different. Like I've lived in various degrees of homesteading lifestyles from camping in the mountains for months on end in trail crews. In the national parks to living in you know <laughs> really overcrowded cities like Manila and everything in between right now I'm temporarily in a suburb outside of Spain like there's so many different ways to live within and without a society and people have certain expectations about what perhaps your lifestyle would entail, and maybe you thought these things too before living it yourself. And how did the, those expectations meet up with the reality that is your day to day life now?
1: Mm-hmm. Great question. Yeah, I think people do have a type of maybe fairy tale vision of what this lifestyle is because because of Instagram and social media. You know, I could take a framed shot of my cast iron on the fire. And it could be like, oh, look at that cute cast iron and the pancakes on the open flame. And isn't that sweet? And isn't that fun? And I think a lot of people are attracted to the marketing aspects of this lifestyle or the things that just look really good. But it's also really hard. It takes time um, to go into the woods and find the tree that has fallen down and cut it up and take it back down to the homestead and chop it and chop it and chop it again and get it to be the right and then make sure the kindling's dry. And, you know, there's all these pieces to it that I think don't get expressed in the same ways because um, people just see like a little, just a little glimpse into it and it looks great. And it is great. It's absolutely great. But I think that there's an expectation or maybe just a not knowing of all the details and all the work and the time that it actually takes to live like this. Now, of course, like, I don't think that that's, um, what what am I trying to say here? It's hard to know every detail before you do things. Even if somebody were to tell, you know, if somebody were to tell me all the details, that doesn't mean that I would have really understood them because for me, I'm an experiential person. I need to experience things in order to understand them more fully rather than just reading them or being told what it takes. Like I've had people out here at the very be- beginning me like, Oh, it's going to be so hard and you're going to be so cold. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'll be okay. And then there were those nights and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so damn cold. <laughs> I'm like, this is really hard. And this is, you know, but I had to, I had to actually be in it. So, um, yeah, I think that I don't know if I really had expectations so much. Um, I'm trying to remember what they could have been. I do remember when I first got here, I had interviewed Stephen Herod Buner, who's a really wonderful, wonderful herbalist and earth poet a number of years ago. And he was kind of saying something in this episode of um, the journey of self-discovery, like you'll lose everything once you enter the journey of self-discovery. And he says something else, like he was talking about something about welcoming the demons in. And I don't know why that inspired me. But when I got out here, I literally said, demons welcome here, like in my body. And I was really willing to just be thrashed and uh, stripped down. And I wanted to uh, extract all of that, 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 I don't know what you call it, like that type of energy out of me. I wanted to really see it. I wanted to look straight at it and 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 be able to extract it and, and get it out of my body. And so there was that expectation that I would do that work, which I did. Now I didn't I don't know if I understood how Shitty, it would feel at times. <laughs> you know, maybe I didn't like fully know what I was getting myself into when I said those things, when I moved out here, when I was just willing to be so raw and challenged. Um, because a lot of times I will ask for the challenge, but then actually being in the challenge is a whole other can of worms. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I don't know, like if I, I mean, there's expectations like things. Um, I built ponds, for instance, and I was told that the ponds would hold water and a couple of them aren't holding water. So that expectation was uh, not met and it's extremely frustrating and I'm trying to figure out ways to have the ponds hold water. So there's expectations like that that I can be really clear about. When I was building up the homestead and I thought things would go a certain way with building projects or gardening projects and then I realized, oh, actually there's a lot more steps to this process or oh actually this is going to take a decade it's not going to take a season Mm -hmm. and so things like that so so maybe like the expectation of just time and knowing that uh knowing at this point that things take a lot more time than they do in the modern city world um you know I can't have anything delivered to my well I guess I can have mail but like in terms of other things delivered, like that's not going to happen or, um, or just, yeah, the, the quick paceness, like things take time. Um, takes way longer than I even expect them to take. It takes many more steps that I expect it to take. A lot of times I'll look out and I'll think, oh, this should be a very simple project. And then six hours later, I haven't even gotten 2% of it done, even mm-hmm, though I've been mm-hmm. puffing and puffing. So it's, yeah, it's really, that has again humbled me and it has put me on a time scale of earth time because working with the land takes me back into earth time it's not computer time it's not technological time it's not it's not city time or suburb time or it, it's really like the land moves slower and how do i learn to move slower with the land and not expect the land to give me everything i want immediately and to feed that desire for instant gratification because i think that instant gratification desire is part of the addiction to fossil fuels part of the greed is part of the we to go mind virus and so that's been um yeah just the expectation of completion too um the people that i in my community that live off the land as well they're you know it's funny there's um yeah there's just a knowing that there's things are never done and you always have to work at them your whole life and you'll die and things still won't be done and that's just part of it and i think there's a lot of <laughs> beauty part of to that.
0: working with living systems they're inherently unfinished
1: uh, absolutely mm-hmm.
0: i really like um what you were talking about there and Yeah, managing those expectations. And that's definitely been a part of my own experience too in the chances that I've had to live very close to the land and adapt to, like you said, earth time, is it really comes down to your expectations of it. And many of us have been very poorly conditioned to try and force the world around us to conform to our expectations and not manage our expectations in relationship to what is happening around us in turn. Um, because you know the natural world I mean it has bent to our will due to brute force and and just shaping it um, through through extractive methods, but it can be so much more when we learn to work with its rhythms and adapt our expectations like I was saying to to what is actually going on. Um, I think that just as a as a way of looking at things and and managing our expectations, realizing that it was was a personal construct. And they're neither right or wrong. They just, they need to be adapted and they need to be understood as coming from us and not being inherent to the situation we're putting ourselves into. If if I understood what you were saying correctly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that we're both on the same page with that. (laughs) Um, And I think that we need that lesson right now as humans whether we live off the grid or not um or in a homesteading lifestyle or not absolutely we can't keep asking the earth to conform to every one of our desires or or wants or even needs like the earth is not here to serve us all the time (laughs) you know we take advantage of the earth so much and just expect the earth to do everything we want rather than trying to ask, how can we serve the earth? How Mm -hmm. can we um, show up for these living systems and fulfill their needs and desires rather than vice versa? Because if we fulfill the earth's needs, we are going to be fed. We're going to be met. We're going to be most of the time taken care of if we can, Actually, listen to what the earth is needing in order to be abundant, but we don't do that anymore, and so it's just very we've gotten into a very selfish cycle with our human uh, desires. And in a way, I understand it, we're animals and we want to survive, and it makes sense that we think about ourselves and our needs and our wants, but I do think that as intelligent beings, we need to really consider what we're asking of the earth and how that is going to not only affect the earth, but eventually affect us, which is definitely what we're seeing now.
0: Indeed. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, I want to go back to one thing that you said when I asked you a little bit about how you uh, have changed your personal identification to match this lifestyle and the setting in which you live. And how you mentioned that it's actually kind of a secondary identification for you. Can you talk a little bit about what you identify most with and how that relates to your work? Because you've already talked about how it relates to your lifestyle.
1: Mm. Yeah, I would say that... Well, I, I, well, first I'll say, like, I don't really ever think about my identity um, in that way. I'm. I guess I'm kind of more fluid that in a sense of just being alive and being in service. And so I, um, and so I, I hardly categorize myself in, in that term, but, but I have said before, and I feel like I can stand behind identifying as a lover and a relative of this earth. I feel very strongly in identifying relationally with the land, and feeling like I am a mother, daughter, aunt, um, a wife, lover, you know, I'm, I'm that. That's what yeah. I can identify as. Like I, I am in a relationship with this planet and I'm in a relationship to the land. I'm in relationship to the soil. And all of that takes so much tending and attention and tenderness and dedication and commitment and i can identify as a very committed i'm, I'm in a very committed relationship and i can identify as a partner and mm-hmm. a lover in that and i feel so good about that identification um so i don't know if that answers your question
0: it does, yeah, yeah, because everyone kind of has a different way and motivation that, that brings about these, these big changes like we've been talking about up until now. And yeah, it's great to hear kind of how you identify within that. Um, a topic that you explore a lot and that you've delved deep into in, in some of your other work is the concept of re-indigenization and rewilding. And you've had the privilege, uh, as have I on this show, of talking with people much more prepared to, to answer good questions and explain this concept than perhaps even you or I. But how has exploring this topic kind of informed your interaction with the setting that you live in and the way that you live your life?
1: Well, yeah. I don't identify as being indigenous especially not to turtle island at one time of course my ancestors were indigenous to land and from what I can tell it's mainly the lands of what is now Russia um, and so I yeah I'm, I'm careful in how I speak about re-indigenizing because um, there are indigenous people People who are still very much here and present and leaders and they um, need that respect that they are still uh, here and connected to their indigenous ways and their lands and are defending their lands. But uh, I do believe that, yeah, as humans, we can say that we are all indigenous to this planet we all came from this earth we came literally from this earth (laughs) and so I think that remembering that that we are not disconnected we didn't just plop out of the sky and as we are babies like we have a long lineage of being human and having our human ancestors rely upon the land and the creatures and the waters and that's the only way that we're here we are here because our ancestors tended the earth and we able to tend it in a way that could keep them alive and therefore us. So I think there's, there's a point there. And, and in terms of the rewilding, originally the podcast that I host was called Unlearn and Rewild. And I've talked about the unlearning and the deconditioning. And the rewilding has been important for me to get out of the that modern conditioning of um, that kind of ball and chain that I know a lot of people feel with this modern life of just go, 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 grow, 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 climb the ladder, Um, basically like keep the system propped and pretend like you enjoy it.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. no,
1: most of us don't enjoy continuing to prop the system up. We actually hate it. And rewilding, I think, psychologically is moving away from that conditioning, um, really questioning ambition, questioning success, questioning everything that this system has been built upon consumer capitalism, colonialism, imperialism, control. Uh, I think, too, part of rewilding for me has really been to think about deep ecology and human supremacy and realizing. You know, humans are not at the top of the triangle. Humans are not necessary for this earth to thrive. Actually, lately, we've quite been the opposite of that. Um, We are not the most powerful. We are not the most intelligent. Um, We are part of a much bigger system. And that system is wild. And to me, what wild is, is having autonomy and liberation to live out our destinies or to live out our Our lives in a way that isn't so confined by a system that we didn't agree to even and so that type of liberation that comes with rewilding is yes it's physical of course but again like I really want to say I think it's more psychological to break the chains of domestication and to break the chains of this consumer lifestyle that we have been sold into believing that we want and that will make us happy when many of us are realizing we are not happy we don't like it we don't want it this ambition the success it's not getting us any closer to fulfillment relationship connection love affection anything like that it's not getting us there so what are we really getting from it okay so we're getting You know, of course, like being able to pay for a home and food on the table and medicine, that's all important. But to make money just to buy more stuff, to fulfill the void of disconnection, what is that? You know, so we're killing the planet so we can have more stuff to fill our closets with? It doesn't make sense. And I think rewilding really questions, at least the rewilding that I have done is really question a lot of that. And then, you know, there is the physical rewilding where I don't, you know, there's times I don't brush my hair for three weeks and it's crazy and it's naughty and it's like, it's hair. (laughs) It's, it's, this is it. Like, this is what it is. This is what it feels like. This is what it feels like to be cold. This is what it feels like to be dirty, like to really like be dirty, to have my clothes be dirty, to have everything that's on my body smell like smoke, um, to, be uh, just engaged in the senses of what it is to be with the land um, is yeah it's it's so powerful and I think that the system doesn't want us to feel wild. Wild is in a sense uncontrollable, and the system wants to control, and that's how it makes money: is by controlling the earth, by controlling humans, by creating these systems that serve. A, a very few. And honestly, I don't even think it serves them ultimately, but yeah, it's, it's deep. And it, like I said, I think it's, yeah, it's physical, but so much of it is psychological and emotional and spiritual. And that's why I think too, you know, you don't have to live off the grid to rewild. You don't have to live in the woods. You don't have to live in the desert. You don't have to uh, be a homesteader to rewild. You can rewild living in the city. You can find connection living in the city. You can homestead in a city or mm-hmm. in the suburbs. Any of those things can happen. And mm-hmm. most people live in cities and suburbs. And so I don't want to say that the only way to find this type of liberation is by moving into a cabin in the woods. I mean, that would, that's silly. I don't believe that one bit. I think we all can have access to it because the access is found through the mind and the heart. It's not just through the lifestyle. I mean, there's a lot of people who live in the woods who haven't rewilded or who haven't found a connection to certainly um, the service element. So, yeah, it's definitely it's and vice not versa, only about like environment. Said,
0: there's some great examples yeah. of people who are living examples of what you and I and many other people aspire to. And, and that level, like you said, the, through the mind and through the heart of rewilding, even though their surroundings don't reflect perhaps what we might have idealized.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Really well said.
0: Well, so <laughs> we could go on with this conversation. This is a bottomless rabbit hole and so many more things to explore here. But before we run out of time, Ayana, could you tell me more about how our listeners can find some more of your work and get in touch?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our website is for the and we have our podcast that we release weekly and uh, it's an amazing show of very deep conversations with thought leaders from all over the world on issues of environmental, social, climate justice, rewilding, spirituality. Oh my gosh, the list goes on and on. I'm a very curious (laughs) person as some of you may have noticed. And so my curiosity goes in a lot of places, whether that's the prison industrial complex or grassland restoration or indigenous defense of uh, land through pipeline protest. It's really an Mm -hmm, endless mm -hmm. rabbit hole. So that's the podcast. You could also learn about our Living Library Native Species Nursery. That's a part of the One Million Redwoods Project for those of y'all who are interested in forestry and reforestation and biodiversity of plants and fungi. And then um, also on the website, you can learn about our work in the Pacific Northwest and in Alaska regarding old growth logging and mining issues. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff that you can dive in there and you can listen to the podcast on the website. You can also listen on Spotify and iTunes and pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, You can find us on Patreon. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and you can also email us if you want to be in direct contact Uh, or if you want to be a part of the organization at connect for the wild dot world.
0: Marvelous. Well, Ayanna, I really hope that we can keep this conversation going again sometime in the future. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you.
1: Oh, I agree. And I really liked your questions. It was fun to talk about this stuff.
0: All right. Well, let's try and catch up again in the future and you have a wonderful rest of your day in your forest getaway.
1: Will do. Thank you.
0: All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, that wraps things up for this week's episode. If you enjoyed this interview and want to find more like it, as well as articles and other resources, you can find the full library of previous podcasts at AbundantEdge.com. The best part is that you can search by category, topics, or keywords on our brand new website rather than scrolling through more than 140 interviews. I've spoken to experts on everything from growing your own food, building homes from natural materials, beekeeping, vermicompost, permaculture design techniques, and so much more. Before we go, I just want to say thank you so much to those of you who have taken the time to reach out to me via comments and emails. Your input helps a lot in making this show the open conversation and exchange of ideas that it's meant to be, and it helps me to make better content on the topics that you're interested in. If you have any insights, advice, suggestions, or questions, be sure to send them to me at info@abundantedge.com, and I'll look forward to being in touch. New episodes come out every Friday like clockwork, so don't forget to subscribe to the show through our website or through your favorite podcast streaming platform, and I'll catch you on next week's show.